You're listening to Summit Podcasts, where you'll find sermon audio, weekly discussions of the message, the Back 40 Leadership Podcast, and much, much more. Subscribe today at summitpodcast.church and share this episode with your friends. Summit Church, every life made different. We're going to continue our series today on the temple. And over the last few weeks, what we've done is we've been looking at the temple in Jerusalem. And what we've attempted to do is uh, create a connection between the Old Testament, New Testament, and then even for us today. Why does this matter for us today? And so what we've done is we've worked from the perimeter of the temple in, and there's a lot that we have skipped over just for the sake of brevity and time. And we haven't been able to go into all the details we need to or could, uh, but we started with the gates. We started with the courts. We looked at the, the dividing wall, the wall of hostility between the Jews and Gentiles that divided the Gentile court from where the, the Jewish people could go. Uh, we talked about the different gates and the significance of the gates. We talked about last week, Pastor Todd shared about um, the holy place. So you go into the temple itself and the, the first room you'd come to would be the holy place. And he talked about the altar of incense and the showbread and the different things in that room. And this week, we're gonna take it another step further and we're gonna go from the holy place to the most holy place, which was also called the Holy of Holies. Now, the Holy of Holies was important because it housed the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant, uh, we're somewhat familiar with it. If you're, if you're my age or older, you remember Indiana Jones and the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. And we all know everything we need to know about the Lost Ark because we saw that movie. It is 100% accurate in every way. Um, and so let me just show you an artist's rendition of what the Ark of the Covenant may have looked like. Now, the Bible will tell us um, the dimensions of the Ark, but there are some details that are left for interpretation. Um, but what we do know for sure is that it was covered in gold. Uh, it had gold poles that they were instructed to carry the Ark with. Uh, they were acacia wood that were, that were covered in gold. Uh, we also know that there were loops on the Ark of the Covenant for the poles to go through. Uh, we also know that the lid of the Ark was solid gold, and it was called the mercy seat, that there was a crown that goes around the top that you can see kind of an edge on the top of the mercy seat. And this is where in just a minute, we're going to talk about the blood that was sprinkled. This is where the blood would have been sprinkled on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant. We also see that there are cherubim, two cherubim facing each other with their wings extended. Uh, some artist renditions have their wings arced or up, um, but so there's not, we don't really know for sure uh, how that looked. We don't have a picture of it. There weren't uh, camera phones available at that time to take a snapshot. Uh, but this is an artist's rendition of what that could have looked like. So that gives you an idea of the Ark of the Covenant. Now, within the Ark of the Covenant uh, were, were kept a few items. The most notable were the stone tablets of the covenant that Moses received uh, from God. It was, the, it was the, the Ten Commandments. So those resided in the Ark of the Covenant. We also know that Aaron's rod that bloomed was in the Ark of the Covenant as well. And we also know that there was a, a, a container of manna in the, in the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason these things are significant is, is threefold. Number one, it represents God's uh, God's deliverance. The staff helps represent God's deliverance. We see the, the manna represents God's provision, and then the book of the law represents God's law. And these were supposed to be items that would help the people remember who God was because we forget pretty easily, don't we? That's why Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Hey, as often as you receive this bread and drink this cup, remember my death. He's saying, you're gonna forget. So that's why we receive communion together. That's why we intentionally try to remember. Um, I don't know about you, but I have to put things on my calendar. Does anybody not have to put stuff on your calendar? You just remember everything? No, thank you for not lying. All of us forget. And so this was supposed to be a memorial for them to continue to remember what God has done. Now, separating the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies from the most holy, or from the holy place was a large veil. So there was a large veil, and to call it a veil is really a disservice. Um, it was a large curtain. It was exquisitely crafted. In fact, history tells us whenever the Romans invaded Jerusalem and, uh, and looted the temple, that they actually took this back to Rome as a, uh, as a, 
oh, as a trophy because it was so beautiful, it was so lovely and well-crafted that they took it back as a trophy to display. Um, the, the curtain depends on how you, on how you uh, apply the measurements, but it was about 30 feet wide by 60 feet tall. Um, it was multicolored. The, the number, I'm not exaggerating when I say this, tens of thousands of snails had to be used for the dye to dye the, the colors on, the, on the, the veil. It's incredible the amount of work and labor they went to to make it, make it happen. Um, along with its just size, height, and width, uh, Scripture also says that it was the, the width of a man's hand. And so it was between three and a half and four inches wide. So that's how thick that veil was. So when you think about your blackout curtains on your bedroom windows, you think those are thick. It has nothing on this veil. Uh, it was thick, it was heavy. It was so big, in fact, that they have a spare veil that they would swap out from time to time to clean. And it took 300 priests to carry and maneuver this veil. It was so large and so heavy. So it was a large it was a large item, but it was significant. And the reason it was significant, um, because number one, it had intrinsic value because of its beauty. But number two, it was the demar line of demarcation between the, the actual physical, tangible presence of God and the, this, this holy place. It was the line that no one could cross except the high priest. And the only time he could cross it is on Yom Kippur. It's, it's the day of atonement in Jewish religion. And this day of atonement is still important to Jewish people today. It happens, it's, they follow a lunar calendar. And so it happens toward the end of September or beginning of October every year is the day of atonement. It's a day of fasting for them. It's a day of, of gratitude for them. It's a day of sorrow for them, mourning the loss of the temple. Um, and so it's a, it's a day of 25 hours of fasting uh, for the Jewish people. So it's still important to them even today. Now for us, we look at the day of atonement a little differently than they do because for us, we look at Jesus as our atoning factor, our atoning work. So it looks a little different, but what we see is this dividing line between the presence of God and everyone else. This is also important because for a lot of Jewish people, they look at the Holy of Holies as the meeting place, not just between God and man, but between heaven and earth. And so in some ways, this is like the nexus of heaven and earth. This is where heaven and earth literally meet and they're connected is in the Holy of Holies. So there's a lot of significance to Jewish people for the Holy of Holies, for the veil, for the Ark of the Covenant. This all matters to them in a lot of ways. And so what I wanna do is read a passage of scripture to you um, and I know if you're doing your yearly Bible reading and you're going through the Bible, if you're doing the Bible recap, like a lot of you are, you, you get to the book of Leviticus and you get so excited because everybody loves the book of Leviticus. Am I right? And so I got good news for you. I'm going to read from the book of Leviticus today. Are we excited? Thank you for faking it. I don't get excited about the book of Leviticus, but I'm telling you today, there's reason for us to be excited about what we're gonna share today. So let me jump in. This is Leviticus chapter 16. This is God implementing the original law regarding uh, temple worship. So this is what it says in verse one. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of Aaron's two sons who died after they entered the Lord's presence and burned the wrong kind of fire before him. And I believe Pastor Todd talked about that a little last week. Verse two says, the Lord said to Moses, warn your brother Aaron, do not enter the most holy place behind the inner curtain whenever, you, whenever he chooses. If he does, he will die. For the ark's cover, the place of atonement, which we call the, the mercy seat, is there. And I myself am present in the cloud above the atonement cover. And it sounds harsh, but what he's saying is, I am a holy God. And you cannot approach a holy God in a manner that is flippant or uh, too comfortable. And, and part of our problem, and I don't mean our as a church, I mean the church's problem is that we approach a holy God far too ca uh, casually and comfortably. That we have forgotten how holy he really is. Now, don't get me wrong. He is benevolent and he is, he is our father and we can approach him and we'll come to that at the end. But just know God is saying, I am a holy God. And I think you forget how holy I am sometimes. So he's saying, hey, Moses, tell Aaron, 
He can't just roll in here whenever he wants. Okay, there's a, there's a means by which he can do that. There's a way I want him to approach me. And I think this is important for us to understand that, that our God is a holy God. That, that it reminds me of a passage in 2 Samuel. In 2 Samuel chapter six, David is moving the Ark of the Covenant and he's supposed to be carrying it with the poles, but he's not. He's moving it, he's moving it on a cart like the pagans do. So he's not following the word of God. He's following the tradition of man. And so he's moving this cart and the ox stumbles. And when it does, this man named Uzzah puts his hand up to, to keep the ark from falling off the cart. And when he does, he dies. And this feels really harsh. It feels like God is not forgiving. God's not loving in this moment. He's just a wrathful God. But, but I need you to understand why this happened. And the reason it happened is because Uzzah, no matter how good a man he was, his hands were profane, so he couldn't handle holy things. He could not casually touch holy things. And because he did, he paid the price for it. And what happens in our culture is it's easy for us to have dirty hands and think we can handle holy things. And we cannot. It is impossible. If we do, we will die. Now we might not die physically, but there's a death in us spiritually whenever we are handling holy things with profane hands. Because what happens is our hearts get calloused and we forget that we don't deserve this. We forget that our God is a holy God and we think we can approach him very casually and very comfortably. We've gotta be careful about how we approach God. And so he's laying this out to Moses in regard to Aaron. So let me jump into verse three. When Aaron enters the sanctuary area, he must follow these instructions fully. He must bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He must put his linen tunic and the linen undergarments worn next to his body. He must tie the linen sash around his waist and put on the linen turban on his head. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself in water before he puts them on. Aaron must take the, from the community of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So this feels a little bit like a white noise. Like, okay, yeah, we get it. But let me point some things out. What he's saying is, Aaron, there's a way I want you to approach my presence. I need you, I need you to change your clothes. You can't just come into my presence in a hoodie and some tennis shoes, Aaron. That's not gonna cut it around here. That might work at Summit Church, but that is not gonna work in my presence. So what he's saying is, whatever your normal clothing is, that's not good enough. You, you've, gotta, you've gotta wear these holy clothes that I'm giving you. But he takes it even further. Because he says, here's the, the, the tunic you'll wear. Here's the turban you're, you're gonna wear. And he actually says, and your underwear's not good enough either. And some of you ladies have been looking at your husband's underwear for years thinking the same thing, haven't you? <laughs> and God is saying, hey, I care about your underwear, is what he's saying. Which is something you did not expect to hear at church today, I'm sure, right? <laughs> Now we go, well, why does this matter? And the reason it matters, and we'll get into this more in a moment, is because God is meticulous about what he wants from us, how we can approach him. What does it mean for us to prepare our hearts to go into his presence? And God is saying, there is a way that you behave, there's a posture you take that will change you as you come into my presence. So he says, here's a way you need to dress. There are clothes you need to wear. And not only that, but he's saying, you, you need to take a bath in a, in a, a special place. Uh, it needs to be a sacred place in order to be cleansed ceremonially to be ready to come into my presence. What he's saying is our normal average everyday approach is not sufficient to come into the presence of God. This is what he's trying to share with them. Let me go on. Verse six, Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. And I'm gonna stop there for one second. It is really important for us to understand, and I've said this before in the last few months, but I want you to hear my heart. Um, leaders 
of churches, leaders of ministry, leaders of small groups, leaders of a, a class in a kid's church, they are held to higher standards than other people. That's just the way it is. There is more required of them. And I'm not talking about education. I'm talking about a sacrifice. What do we see here? It says, hey, Aaron, you're gonna offer a sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people, but you've got to offer a sacrifice for you and your family. There is more required of Aaron than there is of the people. And we think, hey, I'll get involved and I'm gonna have all this influence and I'll be able to tell people what to do. And I've got news for you. <laughs> that is not how this goes. When God asks us to serve and asks us to lead, he's asking us to bring a sacrifice. And this is what Aaron does. Verse seven, then he must take the two male goats, present them to the Lord at the entrance of the tabernacle. He is to cast the sacred lots to determine which goat will be reserved as an offering to the Lord and which will carry the sins of the people into the wilderness of Azazel. Aaron will then present as a sin offering the goat chosen by lot for the Lord. The other goat, the scapegoat, chosen by lot to be sent away will be kept alive, standing before the Lord. When it is sent away to Azazel in the wilderness, the people will be purified and made right with the Lord. So let me just explain this to you. Symbolically, there were two goats that were selected. And these two goats were important because one was a goat that would be sacrificed. It would be killed ceremonially and its blood would be used as atonement for the people. And then the other goat, and we'll talk about this more in a second, he would symbolically carry the sins of the people away. So the sins were cast from the people onto this goat and this goat was allowed to live, but it was cast out into the wilderness. And so we talked about this a few weeks ago. Typically they would go out in the temple. They would go out the East gate, the beautiful gate uh, through the, the Mount of Olives um, and they would go out into the wilderness and they would be, symbolically carrying the sins of the people away from them. This is the symbolism of this moment. Let me go on, verse 11. Aaron will present his own bull as a sin offering uh, to purify himself and his family, making them right with the Lord. After he has slaughtered the bull as a sin offering, he will fill an incense burner with burning coals from the altar that stands before the Lord. Then he will make two handful, uh, he will take two handfuls of fragrant powdered incense and will carry the burner, the incense behind the inner curtain. So let me pause here. What it says is he's gonna offer a sacrifice and then he's gonna take the fragrant powdered incense and the burner from the holy place and he's gonna go through the curtain into the holy of holies. Um, one of the things I didn't mention about the curtain is there's a lot of historians who believe that the curtain was actually layered so that, from the holy place facing the holy of holies, there was an opening on the left side. So you would go through that left side and then you would go between the two veils until you got to the other side, which the right side would open up into the holy of holies so that there wasn't a time that you would open the curtain up. And this would be symbolically because they wouldn't want people to be able to see somebody who was not the high priest to see into the Holy of Holies. So they wanted even people who saw the presence of God to be in a holy place. And so what he's doing then is he's taking the incense and taking the, the burning coal into the most holy place. Um, where are we at? Verse 13, there in the Lord's presence, he will put the incense in on the burning coals so that the cloud of incense will rise above the ark's cover. So the, this cloud of incense will go up above the ark, above the mercy seat and the place of atonement that rests on the ark of the covenant. If he follows these instructions, he will not die. Isn't that a bonus? Aren't you glad at this point, Aaron is getting all the instructions? Have you ever hit one of the, um, on your computer, you've got the thing that it's like, here's the service agreement and you don't ever read it. You just agree. And this is one of those moments, Aaron's like, I'm so glad I read the fine print. I needed to know what this was about, right? Verse 14, then he must take some of the blood of the bull, dip his fingers in it and sprinkle it on each, on the east side of the atonement cover. He must sprinkle blood seven times with the finger in the front of the atonement cover. Now, let me explain something to you here. What we're gonna see and what we actually see in the book of Hebrews is without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And what blood does in the, in the law of Moses is it, it actually brings forgiveness and life. 
So when I was a kid, I struggled with this idea. How does, because um, we sang songs like Washed in the Blood, Power in the Blood, um, and they didn't make sense to me. Because what I knew is if I got blood on my jeans, my mom was gonna kill me. Because you don't get the blood out of the jeans, right? Was anybody else with me? So I, I had a hard time understanding these things. Hey, how can my stains be washed white as snow with the blood of Jesus? Didn't make sense. So let me explain it to you this way. Um, in Hebrew culture, their understanding of blood was that the blood was actually life. This is the reason why they handled, uh, this is the reason why they handled blood so carefully, why they, their dietary restrictions were kosher, because they couldn't eat anything with blood in it. And the reason was their view of the blood was that it carried life. And so when we talk about blood um, covering or atoning, what they're actually saying is the life. So it's not just the blood itself, but it's, the, it's what the blood carries. What the blood carries is life. So the life of this goat, the life of this bull is what is atoning for the sin of the people. Because under the law... They are in sin, and what is demanded by law is their life. And so what they, the priest would do is he would sprinkle the blood, the life of this animal on the mercy seat, and it would cover their sins. It didn't remove their sins, it covered their sins. So it wasn't just blood, it was life. Verse 15, then Aaron must slaughter the first goat as a sin offering for the people and carry its blood behind the inner curtain. So now he's, he's slaughtering the not the, the second goat that carries the sin, but the first goat. Both goats are innocent, by the way, but he takes the first goat, slaughters it, takes its blood into the Holy of Holies. There he will sprinkle the goat's blood over the atonement cover and in front of it, just as he did with the bull's blood. Through this process, he will purify the most holy place and he will do the same for the entire tabernacle because of the defiling sin and the rebellion of the Israelites. No one else is allowed inside the tabernacle when, Aaron's, uh, when Aaron enters it for the purification ceremony in the most holy place. No one may enter until he comes out again after purifying himself, his family, and all the congregation of Israel, making them right with the Lord. So what we see here is even the, the physical structure was purified by the sprinkling of blood blood meant life for the people of Israel. Let me fast forward down to verse 20. Uh, yeah, verse 20. It says, when Aaron had finished purifying the most holy place, the tabernacle and the altar, he must present the live goat. So there were two goats. One has been sacrificed. His blood was sprinkled in the, the most holy place. The other is still alive. That was kept. It was ready. Um, verse 21 and he will lay both of his hands on the goat's head and confess over it all the wickedness, rebellion, and sins of the people of Israel. In this way, he will transfer the people's sins to the head of the goat. Then a man specifically chosen for the task will drive the goat into the wilderness. And as the goat goes into the wilderness, it will carry all the people's sins upon itself to the desolate land. So what we see here, and really what I, what I want you to catch and what I hope you're catching through this series is everything God does, all the instructions God gives for the temple have a reason and a meaning. And all of them are foreshadowing what Christ will do on the cross for us. All of them. Why would you pick two random goats? Well, here's why. You've got two goats that are innocent. One goat is slain, so its blood can, its life can atone for the people. Does that sound familiar to anyone? You've got another goat who is carrying the sin of the people away from the people. This goat didn't sin, but yet it's carrying the sin that it didn't deserve away. See, Jesus is represented in these two goats. It's foreshadowing to what Christ would do for us. Jesus very, very clearly does the very same thing for us. He carried sin that he didn't commit. He carries our sin away from us collectively and individually. This is what he's done. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter five. It said, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. We were sin. Christ was righteous. And Christ said, I will take your sin and you can take my righteousness. It doesn't make sense. He's our scapegoat. By the way, let me just clarify this. I heard somebody call it an escape goat one time. There's no E at the beginning. It's just 
scapegoat. If you've ever watched a movie where there was a patsy, like, oh, he didn't commit the murder, but it was all pinned on him. He's a scapegoat. He didn't do the crime, but he's doing the time now. And I'm grateful that Jesus willingly became our scapegoat. He willingly said, hey, I didn't do the crime, but I will pay the punishment. My, my blood, my life will atone for the sins that you committed. Now, as we go through the rest of Leviticus 16, and I'm not gonna finish reading this, feel free to if you would like, but what we see is instructions for Aaron after he is after he has sacrificed these animals, what are they supposed to do with the bodies? Well, you take the bodies out and you burn them outside the city. We talked about that a few weeks ago as well. Um, hey, what do you do with your clothes? Because now you've got blood and you're dirty. And so God gives them instructions how, what to do with the clothes and what to do with himself. Here's how you clean yourself up before you come back to the city. Oh yeah, and the guy that drives the scapegoat into the wilderness, you can't just come back to town. There's a, a, there's a ceremony for you that you've got to go through to get cleaned up and to bathe so you can be ceremonially clean. He gives them all this instruction. He is very intentional, very meticulous about how he says to do what he says to do. And then at the end of 16, he establishes this day of atonement, which we call Yom Kippur in the Hebrew. And it's a day that's remembered even today. So God sets it up. He establishes it there at the end of chapter 16. So the question is, why did they have to do all this stuff? This feels like a lot. And there are so many answers to this. I wanna make this really simple and I wanna break this down for us today. The simplest answer is that the law was really demanding. The law had high demands because God is a holy God, because God expects so much of us, the law is demanding. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew law, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament. There are 365 thou shall nots and there are 248 thou shalls. That's a lot. In fact, part of the job of the high priest was to atone for the sins that people didn't even know they committed because there are so many laws, they couldn't keep them all. In fact, they didn't even know they were breaking the law because there are so many laws. And as a result, the people couldn't stand under this law. This covenant could not last because people could not fulfill the law. They couldn't do what they were asked to do. And so what we see is the old covenant was just a band-aid for ultimately what God wanted to do. So the law is demanding because God is so holy and he is so righteous. The second thing is this, God deserves great attention. Our God, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you brought in this place today, I want you to know something. Our God deserves great attention because he is great. There are no, there's no limit to the adjectives we could use to describe our God. There's no end. Poets couldn't write it. The dictionary couldn't contain it. There are no amount of words that we could use that would adequately describe our God. Our God deserves great attention. He's worthy of all of our praise. And, and everything that God commanded the people to do, all of it was intended to bring their attention back to God, to, to bring their eyes and their attention back to him. In my experience, most people, uh, most people don't just stop loving God. They don't wake up one day and go, well, God's mean, I'm done. Just like in marriage. In my experience in marriages, when I've had people sitting in my office talking to me, it typically doesn't go like this. It might, but typically it doesn't go like this, where they just go, well, he just became evil one day, or she just became evil one day. That's not what happens. Do you know what normally happens? Their attention gets diverted. They, they just stop giving a little attention every single day. They just start being distracted by other things. They start doing other things, paying attention to other things. Maybe it's the kids, maybe it's work, I don't know. But, but before you know it, you have two people whose attention has been diverted on other things and now they are far apart. Did they set out that way? No, when they got married, they intended to be till death do us part. But what happened? Well, their attention got diverted. And this is what happens in church. This is what happens with our relationship with God. Our attention gets diverted. And before you know it, we start drifting from him. The things that were valuable to us at one point are not valuable to us anymore. And we end up at a place where we go, I don't even know 
if I'm really walking with God? I think so. I don't know. Why? Well, because our attention got diverted. So how do we fix that? Well, to show great attention, we must use great intention. I usually hate rhyming things, so I'm sorry for that already. But if I wanna show great attention, I've gotta use great intention. If I wanna give my wife great attention, I've gotta be very intentional about it. I've gotta be thinking about it. I've gotta be planning it. I've gotta be really looking ahead. What do I need to do? And this is what God did. God said, hey, Aaron, you gotta get your underwear right. You gotta get your tunic right. You gotta get your, here's all the things you've gotta do. He forced Aaron to be intentional about the way he was approaching God. And because he was intentional, it allowed him to bring his attention to God. And if I'm intentional with my wife, it's gonna help me draw my attention to her. See, many of us, when it comes to God, he's an afterthought. Uh, We worship if we feel like it. If if everything's perfect and we're having a good day, we'll worship. But most of us don't talk about God in our everyday life. Most of us don't think about God unless something's going wrong and we have to pray. God, fix this. Why? Because our attention has drifted. Because our attention has drifted, our connection drifts. How do we get that back? We'd be intentional. God, I'm gonna set aside time to talk to you today. I'm gonna set aside time to hear from you today. God, I'm gonna be intentional about our relationship. You gotta be intentional. Uh, James chapter four, verse eight says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. Aren't you grateful for that? (laughs) He says, wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. I actually use this verse. I posted this verse on social media when COVID happened, wash your hands, oh you sinners. And it was not a popular post. I'll just say it that way. (laughs) I got a little bit of pushback from that. (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. (laughs) Come close to God and God will come close to you. And then he says, wash your hands and purify your hearts. Does this mean you can't come to church if you don't wash your hands? Well, I'd like you to wash your hands, but, but that doesn't mean God won't listen to you or God won't come close to you. It's really not about your hand. It's about the intentionality of saying, I wanna make sure my heart is pure and my hands are pure. I wanna make sure the intentions of my heart and my actions are pure before the Lord. And I love what it says. It says, your loyalty is divided between God and the world. And he's saying, your attention is being drawn in other places. you're, You're fixing your eyes on something that doesn't matter. And because you are, you're not drawing close to God. If you wanna draw close to God, man, wash your hands, purify your heart, fix your attention on him. Come close to God and he's gonna come close to you. This is not a mystery. If you wanna be close to God, start chasing God. He's not trying to get away from you. God goes where he's wanted. And if you want God, if you're inviting God into your life, I promise you will find him. But you've gotta be intentional. Third thing is this, being intentional raises awareness. Being intentional raises awareness. Did you know God is omnipresent? And omnipresent is just a fancy word that means he is everywhere all the time. He's everywhere all the time. So God is here in this room today. Aren't you grateful? I am. Thank you, God, that we can meet with you in this room. Do you know what? God is in your car on the drive home from church. He's in your house. God is in big groups of people. He is in your solitude. He is in urban areas, even though it doesn't feel like it. He's in Times Square in New York City. And he's in the deer blind with you in the woods. He's in all those places. So how come we can come to church and we can worship and leave and we, some of us will go, oh my gosh, could you, can you believe the presence of God? And somebody else will go, I didn't feel it. What's the difference? Was God there or not? Well, he was there. The difference is our awareness. See, when I'm intentional, about giving God attention, it opens my eyes. It makes me aware of the presence of God around me because God is with you all the time. But being intentional about being, giving attention will actually raise my awareness. Think about it this way. Uh, if I'm intentional about giving my wife attention, it's gonna raise my awareness in her life. I'm gonna be paying attention in my life. So on December 24th, I'm not gonna be hunting to find a Christmas gift for her. And I just do that last minute panic thing where I go to TJ Maxx and buy a bunch of stuff and hope something will be what she likes. Because if I'm 
if I'm intentional and I'm paying attention and I'm, I'm walking with her and I'm hearing her voice and she makes a comment in June about, man, I'd like that espresso machine. Let's go. I'm ready. I'm intentional about giving her attention. And because I am, it raises my awareness. I'm, I know what's going on. I'm ready. I'm not absorbed in my own stuff. And this is what happens in our relationship with God. We're not intentional. We're not giving him attention. And we have no awareness of his presence. He's with us all the time. He wants to hear from us. He wants to share with us. But we have so little awareness, we have no idea. A few weeks ago, it was late. It was 12.30 or 1. And uh, I heard some noise outside. And my house is situated on School Street. And it's a major thoroughfare for college students that are walking to and from the bars. And so, and that's, we knew it when we bought it. That's great. It's a mission field for us. So, uh, 12.30, it was 12.30 or one in the morning and I hear a loud noise outside. And, um, and so I go and I look at, first I look at the ring camera and I see there's a group of guys outside kind of in the street. Like, what is going on? And so I, I go to the window and I peek out the window and there's some guys out there. There's like 12 guys and they're about to rumble. I don't know if rumble is the actual word, but it looked like a scene from West Side Story where they're like, mm. Wasn't really like that, but you get the point. They were standing in the street and they were screaming, they were cursing at each other and they were, I mean, they were about to come to blows and I'm standing there watching them and I'm old, I'm 47. So I'm old, I'm just thinking, this is exhausting. I'm, I'm exhausted watching them do this. Like you bunch of idiots, what are you doing? And they're making so much noise. And the Holy Spirit told me that I should just go back to bed, but I didn't listen to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> And so I just decided I'm gonna go out there and fix this. And so I've got this big old door and it squeaks when you open it. So the door on my front door just goes like loud. And I just take a step out on the porch and I just look at them and I go, I didn't even say anything. And as soon as I walked out there, all of them, they were, and they go, all, every one of the guys looked at me and their body language shifted and this guy goes, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This guy was talking some st stuff to us and we were gonna, and it just died off. He didn't even finish a sentence. And so I'm still standing here with my arms and just this incredulous look on my face, this old man look, and I just go, I went, go away. And they did. <laughs> if you didn't know me, you would look at me and think I'm mean, I promise, but I'm not. And here's the thing. I thought about it later. Those guys were about to fight. They were cursing each other. They were being aggressive. Middle of the night, out in the street. And I looked out the window and I saw them. I saw what was going on. I saw what was happening. I, I could view all of it. I was aware of them. But the moment they became aware of me, everything changed. Their body language changed. Their posture changed. Their language changed. Their attitudes changed because they were aware of an old guy on a porch. How much more would our lives change if we lived a life of daily awareness of God's presence in them? Where in the car, I was aware of God's presence with me. At my workplace, I was aware of God's presence with me. In my marriage, when I'm having an argument with my wife, I'm aware of God's presence with me. In my class, as I'm taking class, everywhere I go, if I'm aware of God's presence in my life, it'll do a couple of things. The first thing it'll do is we see sinning decreases when we're aware of God's presence. I promise you're going to sin a lot less if you know in that moment, God is with me right now. Like, you know what? I think I'll pass. It makes it a lot easier if you're aware of God's presence. The other thing is our affection increases when we're aware of God's presence. Praise becomes so much easier 
when we're aware of God's presence. And God's presence is not dependent on the style of worship we sing or the songs we sing. I went to a church a while back, I was off and I went to a church in Pittsburgh and they are much more, you think our worship is uh, produced or like production and lights and things, theirs is another level. And I went to worship and I spent the first two songs judging them. <laughs> well, I can't believe they need hazers like this. We don't have to have hazers at our church and God still meets us. Well, I can't believe they do. I was judging them. And then the Holy Spirit punched me in the gut. I was like, you idiot. The reason you don't feel the presence of God is because of you, your, your stubborn heart. It's not because of them. Because the presence of God is at churches that have one guy with a guitar and at churches that sing hymns with a pipe organ. The presence of God is at all these places. And if I can't worship, it's not the church's fault. It's not the worship leader's fault. It's my fault. Because I've got a stubborn heart. Well, I've, it's got to look the way I want it to look. But what God shows us is it's not about the specific style. It's about coming with intentionality. It's about coming with this heart to give great attention to our God, coming with an awareness of his spirit and his presence. And that's what all this is about. So the question is, why don't we have to do this still? Well, we see in Hebrews chapter nine, verse 11. So Christ has now become the high priest over all the good things that have come. He has entered the greater, more perfect tabernacle in heaven. So now there is a tabernacle in heaven that our high priest has entered into, which has not, was not made by human hands and is not part of the created world. With his own blood, not the blood of goats or calves, he has entered the most holy place once and for all time and secured our redemption forever. Under the old system, the blood of goats and bulls and ashes of a heifer could cleanse people's bodies from ceremonial impurity. Just think how much more the blood of Christ will purify our consciences from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God for by the power of the eternal spirit, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. That is why he is the only one who mediates a new covenant between God and the people so that all who are called can receive the eternal inheritance of God uh, God promised them. For Christ died to set them free from the penalty of sin they had committed under the first covenant. The old covenant was fine, but it was insufficient. Jesus came and his blood that was sprinkled cleanses us. His life is so superior to goats and lambs and bulls that it offers us life. I, I talked to a church not long ago and they told me, they said, hey, Mel, we've, um, we've actually started making interest-only payments on our mortgage. And they said it as if it was a good thing. And I go, why? And they said, well, we were having some trouble, but then it just makes sense. It's a lot easier for us to make the payments. And I go, but do you know what the problem of that is? The problem is you'll never get out of debt. You're gonna keep paying the bank forever. The bank is happy to do that because they're satisfied but you can never pay off your debt. And this is essentially what the old covenant was. The old covenant was interest only payments. It could never take care of our debt, but it satisfied God. And what Jesus did is he shows up on the scene and his blood pays our debt, the debt that we could not pay, the debt that was too far gone for us to resolve. Jesus paid our debt. He resolved our debt. He resolved the principle. He resolved the interest. It's all gone in Jesus' name. He did that for us. There is no longer debt. You can clap for that. I want to finish with this. Luke chapter 23, Jesus was on the cross. Luke chapter 23, verse 44. By this time, it was about noon. The darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with these words, he breathed his last. Mark chapter 15 says that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. Matthew uh, chapter uh, 27 says the same thing. It was torn from top to bottom. And there are people, Matthew 27 says that there was an earthquake. And there are people that will say the earthquake caused the curtain, the veil to be torn. But if you remember how big the veil was, about four inches thick, this was not something that would happen easily. In fact, it was said that um, teams of horses couldn't tear the veil apart. 
If they were pulling in opposite directions, that's how strong it was. So what happened? I firmly believe what happened is God the Father, in this moment of great loss, great pain for him, he joyfully tears this curtain in two from top to bottom. Why is this significant? It's significant for this reason. This line, this line of demarcation between God's presence and his people is, is gone. This, this dividing line between the, the realm of heaven and the realm of earth is gone. Now, God is inviting us to usher in the, the culture of heaven into planet earth, that we can carry and steward the culture of heaven in all the places we go. He's inviting us, those of us that are unclean, that we have dirty hands and we have wicked hearts. God is saying, hey, there are no hoops for you to jump through. All you have to do is receive my son, be covered in the blood of the perfect lamb. And as you are, you are worthy of walking into the holy of holies. We have access. I want to share one more verse with you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 says this. And so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. Because of the blood of Jesus, we can boldly go into the holy place. We can boldly go into the presence of God. Not like the high priest who had to go in with some timidity and some fear and hoping he had done everything right. We can boldly go into the, the most holy place. By his death, Jesus opened a new life, a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. It reminds me, you can go ahead and come on up, Eric. We can get ready. In the book of Matthew, when the, when the angel goes to Joseph and he says to Joseph, hey, uh, the Holy Spirit has impregnated Mary. So you don't have to worry. You can marry her. He says, you're going to call him Jesus because he's going to rescue his people. And then he quotes Isaiah chapter 7, and he said, um, he's going to be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. I want, I, I want you to hear this. This is so important. We messed it up in the garden. We were walking with God intimately, personally. And the second we messed up, God's first interest wasn't in punishing us. He was interested in covering us. He took the life of two innocent animals. He took their skins. With their blood, he took their skins, covered the people's nakedness. And that moment forward, every, every word in scripture from beginning to end is all about God's holy pursuit of reunion with you. It's all about how can I be reconciled back to my people? How can I be in intimate relationship with my people? And I am telling you today that the veil has been torn in the temple so that you can walk into the holy place with God. So you can be face to face with our heavenly father. Jesus has made that possible. He's been in hot pursuit of your soul since the beginning of time. I think today might be your day. Right now, I'm turning it over to our hosts in Blairsville. They're gonna close out our time, give you a chance to respond. I love you guys so much. Have an awesome day. So today, I just wanna give you an opportunity to respond to this great invitation we've been extended. Our heavenly father has opened up the door to the holy place and said, will you join me? Can, can we be together? Hey, you have access to heaven. I want heaven to come on planet earth. I want the culture to advance. I want, I want earth to be changed because heaven is invading. Will you, will you come get to know me? That's the invitation we have. So I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. So if you would bow your head and close your eyes all over this place. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you are here even right now. And I just pray, Lord, as we are finishing up our time together, God, our hearts would be fully aware of your presence in this place. Our eyes would be open that, that you are here and you're ready to move and you're ready to change us for your glory. So God, I pray that we would not be resistant. We would be intentional about approaching you and coming boldly to you. So Lord, I pray you'd minister in our hearts. I pray for those that aren't in relationship with you. Let today be the day that they say yes. Let today be the day they find out how good it is to be adopted in as a son or daughter of the King. So God, have your way with us. Nobody's looking around, your head bowed, your eyes closed. If you're here and you'd say, Mel, I know I'm not really walking with God in relationship with God, but I wanna be. 
I'm not really walking in that most holy place, but I wanna be. I recognize that, that I might be religious, but the reality is I've never really walked with intention with God. I've never really given him the attention he deserves. And today I wanna surrender my life to, to his Lordship. I'd love to pray for you. And if you wanna be included in that prayer, would you put your hand up real high where I can see it? You'd say, Mel, that's me. Yeah, thanks, sir. Praise God. Who else would say, that's me, pray for me today. I wanna surrender my life to Jesus. Yeah, thanks, I see you up in the balcony. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Who else? Just a few more seconds. You say, Mel, that's me. Today's my day. Yeah, thank you, sir. Romans chapter 10, verse nine says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So I'm gonna give you some words to say. We're gonna say a prayer together. All of us in this room are gonna pray this prayer out loud, whether you raised your hand or not. So pray this prayer with me from, from your heart to God. Say this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus, your only son, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From this day forward, my life is surrendered to you. Use me for your glory. Help me to worship you with my whole life. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Come on, come on. Here's what's gonna happen right now. Um, our, our team is available. They wanna respond, they wanna help you. And so if you prayed that prayer, take one minute and you can either fill out the card in the seat back in front of you, take it to our next step table out in the lobby, or you can simply text Summit PA to the number 94,000. But please take one of those two steps. We want to help you grow in your faith, walk with the Lord, know what it means to really be his child. And here's what's gonna happen now. These guys are gonna lead us and we're gonna, we're gonna worship. And this is our response today, is just to worship God. And my challenge to you is very simple. Will you worship with intentionality today? Will, will you be intentional about what you do, about your posture, about your mindset? Will you not let this last moment together just be a religious moment where you're daydreaming or thinking about lunch or whatever it might be, but will you allow yourself to be present with God and just see what he'll do? Give him your full attention and see what he'll do. Say, God, make me aware of your presence and see what he'll do. Our prayer team's gonna be available if you need prayer for any reason. As we're singing this, this, this last couple songs, step out, find one of our team, let them pray for you before you go. Stand to your feet. Let's worship together one more time before we go. I do wanna encourage you, if you've never raised your hands before, today might be your day. Give it a try, see what God will do. It might be uncomfortable for you, but I guarantee you Aaron was uncomfortable when he had to change his clothes and go through the ceremony to get in the presence of God. Try something different today and see what God will do. Come down here, kneel at the front of this room if you'd like. Step out from your seat. And if you wanna sway, that might be dangerous for some of you who grew up Presbyterian. You wanna move your feet a little bit. You wanna, whatever it is, whatever God tells you to do, you do it. Let's worship God together today with intention and awareness. God bless you guys. I love you more than you know. I'm so glad, I almost forgot. I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. If you enjoy this content, please let us know by rating and reviewing the podcast. You can also contact us at summitpodcast.church. Remember to share this episode with your friends and on social media. Summit Podcasts can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Thank you for listening to Summit Podcasts, and we will see you in the next episode.